This morning we're beginning a new series on the mountain of God, a worship series. I don't know what comes into your mind the minute you hear a worship series, you're like, oh, maybe I'll just skip that one. We're just talking about music the whole time. Worship is actually the natural activity of the soul. You were created to worship. In fact, every single person in this room has this longing for transcendence, a longing for a glimpse of glory. We are creatures created uh, who cannot help but ascribe worth. That's what worship means, to ascribe worth. We can't help it. It's just in our nature to ascribe worth and value and have affection for. We're beings that adore, don't we? We're beings that, that, that praise and are drawn to that which is wonderful or beautiful or majestic. We idolize that which captivates our heart. When we think about the ancients, we kind of think of archaic worship, worship that was of the sun and the moon, the stone and wooden images, gods of their own making. And we can kind of sit back, can't we, and think like, in our high-tech, high-educated Silicon Valley world, we're beyond that, right? And yet, if you were to examine the activity of your life and every single person's life around you, what you'd find is there's this endless pursuit going on. There's a searching, there's a longing, there's, there's maybe even a wandering, hoping to discover that which your heart is made for. That's what worship is, is this longing for that which our heart was made for. And so we too worship, you may not know it as such, you may not even use the word that way. We don't worship the wood and the, you know, stone images. We worship a paper diploma and degrees. We worship the science of the universe and humanity's centrality in it, don't we? We worship metal objects fashioned as status symbols in the form of an automobile. We worship. We worship the graven images that come across our Instagram and uh, Snapchat feed that fill us with envy and anxiety, and yet our heart is still drawn to them, and we keep going back to them, don't we? We give our hearts, and we adore to success and prestige, power and pleasure. The truth is, if we were to be honest, we're not that different from the ancients. The only thing that is different is, is we cover up our worship with sophisticated gibberish. So we sound scientific. So we can move away and feel better or that we've progressed. However, worship is what we do as people. And the problem is, when we're talking about worship, is it, we make it a genre of music instead of an activity of our lives, right? You're right, worship, a worship series, is Ryan going to be talking all about the music the entire time? Worship is like what happens before the sermon or after the sermon, right? That's what happens. No, no, no. Worship is simply this. Let me give you a definition. 
Worship is fundamentally a response to what we value and adore most. That's what worship is. It's this ascribing worth and our heart's natural response to what we value and what we adore, what captures our affection and our attention. Worship is what grabs our heart. It's our response to that which grabs our heart. And so the question isn't, do you worship? It's what or who do you worship? We are all worshiping creatures. If you want to discover, you're like, okay, I know, this is a category I haven't even thought about. Like, what do I worship? Just simply look at what you value most, what you adore most. Look at where you spend your time, your energy, your resources, your finances. Look at what your heart gravitates to or who your heart gravitates to, and there you'll find what you worship. And all of this points to something deeper, something back to our design from the very beginning of who we are created to be and what we're created for. Because we are fundamentally created to worship God. You were made and designed and crafted as an image bearer, an imprint of the God Most High to reflect back his glory to him. You were created to worship God. In fact, there's a longing in your soul. Think about this, and you know it to be true because you've chased after so many different things. There's a longing in your soul that will only be satisfied on the mountain of God. That when you come and you're like, I've been looking, I've been searching, I've been wrestling, I've been wondering, and only when you experience God, then your soul finds rest. In fact, we see this uh, written in the very first lines of God's revelation to us in Genesis chapter 1, in his word, it says it this way. It says, in the beginning, think about this, in the beginning, like there was a beginning, right? Okay, hello, we're, right to, we're, we're together on that. There's a beginning. And, and it doesn't say, in the beginning, fill in your name, right? It, it doesn't say, in the beginning, John, and in the beginning, Susan, in the beginning, um, Teddy. I don't know. I don't know. He's, 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 I know a Teddy. In the beginning, Teddy. You know what he says? In the beginning, what? Help me out. That was a good try. In the beginning, God. See, worship is actually all about God. Our tendency is to make worship all about us. In the beginning, God created, and this is a wonderful news, there's because he created, there's design, there's purpose, there's intentionality. And think about this, created the universe, the heavens and the earth. If the beginning of the universe starts with God, then our worship too must begin and start with God. You see, God is the main character of the story here. It's in the beginning, God. You are not the main character of the story. We live our lives incomplete and at a deficit. And the reason why is we have been deluded to believe that we are the main characters of our stories and we're just sharing everyone else, of main, you know, our supporting cast on our, you know, Instagram feed or whatever. And it's just like, it, life is all about me. Wrong. Life is not all about you. Hate to break it to you. And your life will experience great heartache and pain as long as you're the main character. 
you will never be able to support the weight of your soul's longing until you return to God that he indeed is the main character. By the way, God doesn't exist to make you happy. We exist to give God glory. Worship's about him ascending the mountain of God. I love how Louis Giglio, a pastor, says it. He says, worship doesn't begin with us. Worship begins and ends with God, and God is worthy of all praise from all people for all time. Now, for some of you, the reason you have wandered into this room is because you have been chasing, you may not have used the word, but you have been chasing things that have found incomplete or unfulfilling. You have been worshiping before things that that you hoped would fulfill and satisfy. You've given your affection and your adoration, and they've come up hollow, empty, and you're walked in, and you're like, "I, I don't know what's next. Maybe I'll just show up here. Maybe this is what my heart is searching for. Maybe we, you've walked in and you search and you've been worshiping the God of success and it's left you empty and dry. Maybe the gods of a carefully crafted image and yet you just feel like you're not right on the inside. The God of the perfect relationship that completes you and yet you've never felt less complete. The gods of freedom to do whatever you want and yet you feel in bondage to it. The gods of pleasure, power, and prestige. You see, the ache of your soul is for the desire for God and his glory. So the question, how do we return to that which we were created for? What is hardwired into us? How do we worship God? We're going to spend the next four weeks in Exodus chapter 3 looking at an encounter that Moses had with God. And in this encounter, we'll discover how we are to then engage and return to who we were created to be and what does it look like to worship God and experience his power, his presence, his glory. Moses was on the far side of the mountain. He was on the far side of the wilderness. Think about this. Moses, the great liberator and leader of, the, of Israel, prophet, friend of God. He's 80 years old, wandering in the desert with a bunch of sheep. This is where we pick up the story. It says in Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb. The mountain of God. Now for us to understand the significance of that one sentence, we got to go back about 400 years and understand the backstory of what happened. A little over 400 years ago, uh, Israel ended up in Egypt under the leadership of Joseph. The whole family moved down there and they, you know, relocated and they prospered greatly. In fact, they prospered so greatly that about 400 years later, uh, the Pharaoh and the Egyptian people were looking at it, and they're like, they felt a threat to their own livelihood and their own way of life that, hey, these Israelites are going to take us over. So the natural response was, how do we oppress them? And so the Pharaoh then strategically uh, begins to bring them into submission and systematically killing their kids. They are now in bondage and slavery. They're no longer flourishing. 
And Moses was one of these kids that was to be systematically killed by the Pharaoh to bring the Israelites back into control for the Egyptians. However, his mom was shrewd and just had one last shot of like, how can I save my baby boy? And takes the basket woven together, tarted up so it'd be like, you know, waterproof, puts her baby boy in the basket at the side of the Nile where the princesses of the kingdom would bathe, hoping maybe if the boy was discovered that, you know, uh, the heart of the princess would be for this little baby boy and he wouldn't die. I mean, it was a last-ditch effort. And sure enough, this this baby boy was discovered by a princess, and she said, I'm going to raise this as my own. And Moses, instead of being killed, was raised as a prince of Egypt. And so you may wonder, well, what is Moses then doing on the far side of the wilderness if he's a prince of Egypt? So growing up as a uh, prince of Egypt, he never lost his Jewish identity and his connection with his people and the ways of God and how he met his people. And so Moses one day was walking and saw uh, an Egyptian guard beating a Jewish slave and his anger burned and he, he literally got in the way and he ended up in trying to stop the beating, killed the Egyptian guard. Word got out of Moses' anarchy against the kingdom, and Pharaoh wanted to have him killed. And so Moses flees to the, um, to the wilderness, hiding to save his life. And so for 40 years, he's been wandering in the desert, hiding for his life. Moses, who was placed in the Egyptian court to be the deliverer for his people, is on the far side of the wilderness. In fact, the way the text is there is he's literally weeks away from home. He's traveled during the dry season looking for uh, food for his sheep, and he's traveled through the deserts. Moses is on the far side of the wilderness, and chances are some of you feel like you're on the far side of the wilderness too. I think when it comes to your relationship with God, and maybe in life you could feel like, I'm just wandering through life. I feel on the far side of the wilderness. I feel like God is distant and far away. Maybe like when you think about God or being close, God feels impersonal or unapproachable. You feel like a failure. Maybe shame overshadows your life. You're filled with pain and regret of your past. Maybe this morning you walked in and you're just like, I, walk, I feel so worthless. I feel so unlovable. Like I just feel far from God. I feel like I'm wandering through life. I feel like people, people don't really know me because I keep it covered and hidden, but inside my soul is just hurting. Moses was on the far side of the wilderness. Now, think about this. Moses didn't know it at the time that he was wandering to the mountain of God. He, he didn't set out on a journey and said, you know what, we need to find some uh, food for these sheep, and I'm going to go ahead and travel weeks away from our home and from where I'm at to go to the mountain of God. 
It was named the mountain of God after this moment. He was just traveling, wandering. He comes up to the, the Horeb mountain range, which uh, later would be called the mountain of God because God met him there. He was just wandering there trying to find food for his sheep. And for some here in this moment, you may be on the far side of the wilderness, but you're never far from the mountain of God. You may feel like you're wandering and you're just going in circles through life, but God is more near than you could imagine and more present where you're at. Well, the story goes on. There, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Moses saw that the bush was on fire. Uh, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? Now, I like to call this the ordinary burning bush. Can you say that with me? The ordinary burning bush. Say it one more time. This is an important point. I don't want you to miss this. The ordinary burning bush. We all want a burning bush moment with God. We all want a moment where we encounter the presence of God. He shows up. He reveals himself. Like, like, like it, he writes in the sky. This is big sign. You have this vision, right? We want this burning bush moment. And kind of like going, okay, no, I don't even want it. I need it. Like my soul is longing and looking. I need this moment with God. I need to return to intimacy with him. And you're wondering, where is my burning bush moment? Like, like, where is the lightning and the thundering voice and God going, Jessica? Yes, I should have used my own name. That was kind of weird. Um, <laughs> yes, Lord. Where's my burning bush moment? Here's the reason I call this the ordinary burning bush moment. The reality is, is this moment could have been easily missed by Moses. Moses has spent 40 years as a shepherd up to this point, wandering throughout the desert. He's in this arid climate, hundreds if not thousands of bushes around him. A burning bush was no unusual sight. Lightning would strike and a bush would catch on fire. In fact, it was so arid and dry, sometimes they, they would spontaneously combust and there would be, you know, a bush burning. Moses had seen many burning bushes before. This was not an unusual, unordinary moment. This was an everyday occurrence. He, he probably, over 40 years, maybe has seen 100 burning bushes. But he had never seen a bush that did not burn up. You see, I think we want God to always show up in the big, in the extravagant, in the lights, in the sound. And what I find in even my own walk and throughout Scripture is he shows up in the ordinary. He shows up in the small. Like the everydayness of God. And I think we miss out on so many burning bush moments because we're just unaware. We just look at it and go, cool, bush burning, awesome. Snap a picture of it, post it, on with my day. And Moses had to watch long enough this sight to even notice it was unusual. 
See, could it be that some of us have missed out on burning bush moments simply because we're just not aware of them? Let me give you maybe three reasons we miss out on these burning bush moments. Well, first, you may be asking, well, what is a burning bush moment? I think a burning bush moment looks like us in our days, like where you have a quiet time, where you're spending time with God, and you're like, we talked about this in our sacred rhythm series, and you're like, I want to do this, I want to meet with God, and you're like, I'm just doing it, I'm waking up, but nothing's really happening. There's no burning bush moment, and over the course of your time, you're all of a sudden, one morning, it's like God's word just came alive, and you're like, wow, you met me there, and it was in the everydayness of that. Maybe it, it looks something like you've been praying, and you're like, man, I really do want to connect with God, and I'm driving on my car or my commute, and I'm just beginning to pray, and it feels like the prayers are just hitting the ceiling, and they just keep going back up and down, and then one moment you're just driving, and all of a sudden you're overwhelmed with God's love in that moment and his affection and care for you. Maybe it looks like this moment where you just wandered in in church, and you're like, I just do church. It's the thing I do, or maybe I don't do church, but I'm just wandering in, didn't have any expectation and God meets you in a way through a person and through a conversation, through the worship, through the, the sermon. There's moments where, where God's working in your life and you're wrestling and you're writing. And the night before, you're crying out and praying. And then the next Sunday, it's as if God handcrafted the entire series just for you. It's a burning bush moment. I've seen that happen time and time again. Maybe it's a burning bush moment when you're walking past this homeless person and you just have this, like, tugging on your soul to like love that person not just give them a dollar but love that person and so you go out of your way and then God meets you significantly when you do that or for others it's when you first recognized and realized oh my gosh the way I'm doing life's not working and I need a savior and you cry out to Jesus why do we miss these burning bush moments I think one of the reasons we miss these burning bush moments is we're just too busy to notice them, aren't we? This is Silicon Valley. We're fast-paced. Everything's fast. Please don't tell me my computer's got to, like, download stuff. It should be instant. I want my Amazon to my door yesterday. We live busy, rushed, hurried lives, and as a result, we're unable to pay attention to the activity of God in our lives. God often moves and works in the everyday ordinariness of life. Moses, Moses had to linger long enough to notice that this was something unusual going on. And we, unfortunately, keep ourselves constantly distracted or entertained, and we are too busy just rushing past that, going like, oh, I saw that. Oh, that was nice to see you. Oh, hey, moment of worship. I got it in. You know what? I'm going to leave a little early from worship because, you know what? I, I got here, but I got to go on to the next thing. Oh, I'm going to spend time. And we just rush past from one thing to the next. And I think we miss out on moments that God has handcrafted to meet with us. Sometimes we're just too busy to notice. Other times it's just too small to notice. The ordinariness of it causes us to overlook or dismiss it. And we want the big, don't we? We want the impressive. We want the like light show, smoke and fog. Well, maybe not. I mean, you're like, no, God, show me a little bit of you, not all of you. I don't want to see all of you. That's scary. I heard what happens to people when they see all of you. I don't want to do that. But I do want something big. And God often works in the small, in the ordinary moments of life. 
was on this mountain, Mount Horab, also known as Mount Sinai, where um, another person would have a burning bush moment. A guy named Elijah, about 200 years later, would have this burning bush moment with God, and he just had this incredible spiritual victory, right? I mean, he just had this moment where, like, it, like, talk about being on the mountaintop with God and God's showing up powerfully. And what's amazing is what the text tells us is right after that, he goes into a deep depression and he wants to die. And he's running for his life and he's running and he's running and he wandered and he finds himself on the mountain of God. And God shows up to meet him here in his hurting broken place, the prophet Elijah. And this is what the Lord said to the prophet Elijah, and I love this. It says, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Cool. All right. Like, I'm desperate for you. God, you're going to pass by. Okay, what's it going to be like? And then it says this, then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart, uh, tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Whoa. But the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. What do you mean? These are what we call acts of God. Shouldn't God be in these? And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after came the fire, listen to this, came a gentle whisper. That, that word gentle whisper in the Hebrew means silence stillness. Silence is hard, isn't it? It says all those big moments, God was not in that. God was in the stillness. This is why the psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. It's too small to notice that we have a hard time with silence and stillness pay attention, where we would then hear the still, small voice of God. See, what we do in our world is we numb ourselves with noise, don't we? There's a dissonance in our soul of what's going on that we don't want to acknowledge, and we're actually afraid to acknowledge, we're afraid to look in, we're afraid to be still and silent long enough because we, we just want to avoid the deep things in our soul and stay active, and we keep noise going so we don't have to pay attention to it, and yet it is in the silence where God wants to meet you and actually bring healing to the dissonance of your soul. This is why when we are talking about it earlier, a quiet time, and I know for some you're like, a quiet time, that sounds like a punishment that I would get as a kid. Like quiet time? And, and here's what I mean by it. It's not like, it's just a time that you set aside for your heart to be still before God so that you can hear from him. Where you put down your phone, you, you silence all the notifications, you don't check your, your you know, social media or your emails and you just go, okay, I'm going to be still, I'm going to be silent, I'm going to hear from you. See, we miss these burning bush moments because we're too busy to notice, or sometimes it's too small to notice. Other times, we wouldn't say it this way, but we're too important to notice. Moses, Moses had a full-time job. He was going somewhere. He was leading sheep to get, you know, the pasture. 
he, he actually had to not only notice this for long enough, but change his direction that he was going. See, we have so many activities in our life, and we already have our course and future set before us. And sometimes it's like, no, no, I got my thing, God, I'm good. And if you want to join my thing, that's great. Instead of shifting our attention going, you know, let's put down my thing for a second and let me focus on you and your thing, God. See, we're sometimes just too important to notice that we were just caught up in our own stuff. And it was in this burning bush moment that altered the direction and destiny of Moses' life. See, we have to turn aside, stop what we're doing. We can't do business as usual. We have to be present to what God is doing, that he's active, handcrafting moments for you to meet with him. Well, Moses is on the far side of the wilderness, turns to see this burning bush that isn't burning up. And I love what the text says next. It says this, when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Old Testament scholar Douglas Stewart writes this. In ancient Semitic culture, addressing someone by saying his or name, his or her name twice was a way of expressing endearment that is affection and friendship. Thus, Moses would have understood immediately that he was being addressed by someone who loved him and was concerned about him. Isn't that amazing? Moses, wandering on the far side of the wilderness, and I think this is what God has for many of us in this room that are wandering on the far side of the wilderness. Moses, who is hiding from his past. Moses, who feels like a failure and a major screw-up. When God shows up to him, he wants to declare two things to him that are so powerful for those of us who are wandering on the far side of the wilderness this morning. Here's what God wants to tell you this morning. One, that God knows your name. God knows your name. You're not a number to God. He didn't go, hey, you. Hey, buddy. Pow. Look up here. Come on over here. Come on. Hey, 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 hey. You're not a number to God. He's not like, okay, there's approximately 7.8 billion people. You're 6.5 billion. That's your number. Come on, 6.5-er. Come here. You're not a number to him. The God of the universe who spoke and everything came into existence is so personal. He knows your name. Now, names in the Old Testament meant something. A name was connected to a person's identity and character. Think about this. Moses means deliverer, one who is drawn out, one who is drawn out from the water, right? And deliverer. When God showed up, he didn't say, wanderer. He said deliverer. No, he's wanderer. He's shepherd. He's over here. He's not living out his destiny and his purpose, but God calls him that anyways. He says, hello, deliverer, deliverer. I know your name. God knows your name, and some of you, some of you don't even know your own name. Some of you have been living out the name that someone gave you, that is spoken over you, a, a name and an identity that you've embraced, and it's not your name. 
God says, listen, I know your name. I handcrafted you. You have design and purpose. You're made in my image and a reflection of me. I know you better than you know you. And I have called you my son, my daughter. I have called you beloved. I have called you that your name is more than a conqueror. You're like, no, I'm defeated. No, you're not. You're more than a conqueror. He knows your name. God knows your name. God is intentionally intimate, personal. That you would run to the God and begin to embrace the name that he has given you and calls you than the name that you've embraced or has been put upon you. The second thing I want you to see is not only that God knows your name, but God is lovingly pursuing you. God is lovingly pursuing you. Moses, Moses, sign of affection and friendship. This encounter that Moses has reminds me of an encounter that our first parents had, Adam and Eve. In Genesis chapter 3, it tells the story of humanity's fall away from God, our rebellion, where we chose our own way instead of God's way. And in that moment, we recognized our brokenness, our sinfulness, our nakedness. And so we hid from God. And it says that God went to walk with Adam and Eve as he always had. But Adam and Eve were hiding, ashamed. And you know what God didn't say to Adam and Eve? He didn't say, what are you doing? He didn't say, how could you? He didn't say, well, you're an idiot, you're a screw-up, you blew it. You, you know what he said? Where are you? You moved. My heart and my longing is I love you, I want to be close to you. Where are you? Come back to me. Stop hiding. Moses, Moses hiding in the wilderness. God is lovingly pursuing him. Or Adam and Eve, God lovingly pursuing them. And for some, you're like, yeah, but God's not lovingly pursuing me. You don't know where I've been, what I've done, my background, my past. I, you, there's no way. And the truth of it is, it is in the person of Jesus Christ that we see with such Excellent clarity, God's pursuit and love of every single person on this planet. Think about this. God, who dwells in inapproachable light, holy and righteous, full of glory, who created all that we see, Lee's majesty takes on human form for you and me. God, who, who let his own creation nail him to a cross for our pain, for our shame, for the reason we were hiding and running away so that we might be restored again. In fact, some people were wondering why Jesus was walking around and they asked him, what's up? What are you doing? He said, I have come to seek and to save that which is lost. I came for the wanderers, what he's saying. I came for the person wandering on the far side of the wilderness. I came for the person that feels so far from me that, I, that, that somehow they feel like God's not approachable. I'm telling you, God's approaching them in love. And then he begins to share stories to help us get that. And he tells of a lost sheep that wandered away and how the shepherd 
search for that sheep. Then he tells of this lost coin and how this, this woman search and sweeps everything. And then he tells to find the coin. And then he tells the story of the lost son. And the father who runs to embrace his son. Where are you? I love you. See, in this moment right now, I don't know where you're at and what's going on in your life or how you even think God feels about you. God knows your name and he knows everything about you and he's lovingly pursuing you right now in this moment. You may feel like you're on the far side of the wilderness, but you are not far from the mountain of God because of the cross of Jesus Christ. So how do we return to that which we created for? How do we worship? Same way Moses responded. It's not that difficult. There's not a bunch of hoops to jump through. You don't have to have a secret formula or say all the right things. He saw that there was something unusual, and he just turned that way. When you see and you feel the drawing of the Spirit, and that's happening for some in this room, you just begin to turn that way, turn to God, and it's just this simple thing that Moses said right at the end. When God said his name, Moses, Moses, he just said, here I am. When we just simply go, here I am, God responds to us. He meets us right where we're at. He draws us close. He will bring healing and wholeness. He will give you a new direction and purpose. He will bring life to the weariness of your soul. And this morning, as we continue in worship, would you simply call out to God, the God who's pursuing you in love, here I am.